podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Thanks for choosing this free Anfield Index podcast. If you'd prefer to listen to this or any of our other shows without adverts, then now's the time to check out Anfield Index Pro. With AI Pro, you can supercharge your entire listening experience. You'll not only get all of our podcasts without the ads, but you'll have them far faster with our quick publish feature available exclusively for subscribers. AI Pro also puts you in the heart of our sound studio with an option to listen to many of our shows live and interact with the podcasters in real time as the shows are recording. Upgrading couldn't be easier. AI Pro is available on all popular podcast platforms and we have our own apps for Apple and Android. Just head on over to AnfieldIndexPro.com and get started today. Hello and welcome to AI Scouted on Anfield Index Pro. I'm Dave Hendrick, joined as always by Mr. Carl Matchett. How are you, sir? I've rarely felt better, Dave. How are you? <laughs> I'm tremendous because we're not talking about Liverpool playing football in this podcast, which is a wonderful thing. A wonderful thing, Carl Matchett, because we've just had a very tough hour. <laughs> <laughs> We have. Um, we we will we will mention Liverpool, but we will fleetingly mention Liverpool and skate over them at every opportunity in this podcast. Yeah, because I think that's the only real way to handle uh, what Liverpool are serving up for us at the moment. So, what we're going to do in this podcast is we're going to have a look at the January transfer window, the Premier League ins and outs, and we're going to look at our favourite deals our least favourite deals, and then the couple of deals that we might have liked Liverpool to jump in on because a lot of players moved in this window that potentially Liverpool could have gotten in on and potentially will look to get in on in the future. So, Carl, I will let you go first. What is what is your first favourite deal of the transfer window? Delia Zabani to Bournemouth. I think this is an intriguing signing. I think it's reasonable that they they may still feel that they go down but he's someone at 20 years of age center back good experience already in terms of um you know international and top flight level football uh that he would be able to contribute in the championship if needed get himself a really good year of adjusting to england and being in bournemouth and you know learning what a seagull is and all that kind of good stuff and then be able to be part of a, a quite a decent back line, or at least he'd be decent in it if they get promoted back to the Premier League then. But also, I think he's good enough to actually contribute to them like right away, basically, mm. and uh, improve their chances of not going down anyway. So we decided about 35 seconds before Guy hit record what we were actually going to talk about. Did not confer at all, and Carl has picked my favourite. Huh transfer of the transfer window as well um I, I i really like this one for them i think this is one of the better young center backs in european football 6-2 aggressive good in the air good on the ball i think they've gotten him at a, at a fair price i think you're right he can go down with them if they get relegated and i don't think it, he'll be one that'll force his way out they will sell him for a profit in a couple of years. I'd be stunned if they don't make, you know, 10, 12 million easily on him. I think he's a massive prospect. So with him off the board, I will go to my first one. Now, I really like this move for the club. 
I don't like this move a whole lot for the individual player. But I think the club have bought a, a superbly talented player. I'm just not sure it's the best move for the player. Malo Gusto from Lyon to Chelsea. I think he is maybe the best young right back prospect in world football right now. 19 years of age. He's just a superb young defender. Very, very confident going forward. Great engine, comfortable on the ball, strong, quick. He's got everything you'd want. Chelsea wanted a backup right back for um, Reese James, and I think they've gotten about as good as you could get. But I don't really love it for him because he's going to be behind Reese James, who's one of the best right backs in the world. Now, there is the possibility they could move Reese James into midfield or something, but with his injury problems, that might not be the smartest move. But yeah, I think Malo Gusto, I think the price, the age, the talent, I think it's I think it's a great signing, to be totally honest. Yeah, one to definitely look forward to, um, if nothing else, just to you know see if he actually does get all the way to the end of his contract and still at the same club, because you know that's that's part. Or of- does he have sixteen loans across the next seven seasons? That's part of Chelsea bingo now, and it's like an extended supercard, isn't it? It's like a fifteen by fifteen squares. So there's there's lots and lots of uh, possibilities here, mix and match of which players get new contracts and get to the end of their first ones. Um, Playing, playing wise this is a, a very very exciting addition I think it probably for a manager like Graham Potter also gives him a lot of options in terms of the in-game rotations that he loves I haven't seen Gusto play in midfield but I'm led to believe he has appeared there like in front of a fullback as such so there's the possibility that that happens with then the switch to Reese James going right-sided centre-back at times, which he has done, and Chelsea being in a back three, obviously. So perhaps there's a, there's an element of, of extra game time for him there, but I don't doubt that he's going to need a little bit more uh, getting to grips time as well um, in terms of being a, a fully-fledged, absolutely guaranteed starter player just on a little bit of you know normal things for young players a little bit of rawness a little bit of positional work to improve all that kind of thing but definitely definitely one of the more exciting additions for the summer to look forward to yeah very much so so what is your next one then my next one i am going to go with scroll back down I, I'm, I'm not sure if this I, I would classify this as my favorite one but i'm definitely looking forward to seeing how it goes uh, over the longer term, let's say, Harry Sutar to Leicester. Um, this is an interesting one. <laughs> yes, it's interesting. That's the word. It's not favourite. It's definitely interesting, though. He's he's very he's very good in the air. He's a very powerful defender. And if you were looking as Leicester to replace what you once had with Harry Maguire... I think he would be on your shortlist stylistically. Mm. But I do have concerns about the lack of foot speed, the fact that he turns like an oil tanker. And he can get a little bit lost when the ball goes behind him. Like, it takes him quite a bit of time to turn around, and he doesn't really have that kind of recovery pace. I think he sort of mandates that you play a bit of a deeper line, yeah. which isn't really Rogers' thing, but maybe is the best thing for Leicester in the short term. 
Yeah, it could be. I think Harry Maguire is a very good comparison there in terms of the the style of play, the body type, the way he defends the ball. Um, he's a very attacking defender, if you get what I mean. He's, he's very much on the front foot and will be aggressive in the challenge and not sort of wait for play to come to him as such. Uh, I think that that's okay for a defender, but as long as the timing and the impatience is not there. And I think that that's something, if you think of, let's say, Martin Skirtle for for a Liverpool example, he was a similar type of player, but he had absolutely no patience and he had absolutely no clue of when to just stand off and wait a little bit. And Sutar, I've not seen enough of, obviously being in the Championship, to say that he does this on a super regular basis. And the other still marginal concern, I suppose, is that we're only, what four months down the line now from him being back from his cruciates and that's that's quite yeah. the amount of money to pay and he's played a lot in a short space of time after coming back from an ACL like it's not it's not the end of the world and that's good you want him to be you know playing and getting rhythm and all the rest of it but it is a lot of football in a condensed period of time after a long injury are you that person who has everything the coolest merch and those must have fan threads well over at our Anfield Index shop, we've gone that extra mile when it comes to pimping up your Liverpool collection. From our popular range of bespoke design t-shirts, sweaters, hoodies and hats, to our signature edition mugs, prints and coasters, all provided with fast worldwide shipping. We have something for every red. We also stock official LFC merchandise and are licensed with the Premier League and UEFA to sell official iron-on shirt badges and sleeve patches. As a listener to this podcast, you can get 10% off everything with coupon code AIPRO10. Just head over to anfieldindex.shop or find us on Etsy by searching for Anfield Index. Yeah, I mean, especially when your, I suppose, your defensive group already contains Ricardo Pereira, who's working back from a torn Achilles. James Justin, who worked back from a torn ACL and is now out with a torn Achilles, it it's a little bit of a concern to have three players in your, I suppose, top six defenders who've all had significant, significant career altering altering injuries in the last twelve months or fourteen months or however long. Like that, to me, would be a little bit of a concern as well. Yeah, yeah, that's fair as a as a, as a group um, planning exercise as well. But I suppose the other thing of that is that there's never with Leicester any real telling of how much turnover they're going to have. We, we know that there was no money basically in the summer. I presume, therefore, they're going to have to sell at least a couple this coming summer. Um, mm. So maybe they, they're looking at a bit more of a numbers quantity over quality in certain individuals this time. Yeah, I'd imagine there's a hefty changeover coming at Leicester in the summer because I think Madison's probably off, Telemans is gone, and Didi might go. So it wouldn't be surprising if if a number of others were to find their way out the door as well. Uh, my next one then is, to be fair, he's, it's probably my after Zabarni, this one is probably actually my favourite deal. It might even be my favourite deal of the window. I think Nottingham Forest have gotten an absolute steal with Danilo for £18 million. I've been watching this kid play for a couple of years for Palmieri's. He has been one of the outstanding midfielders in all of South America for the last couple of years, dominating uh, 
Copa Libertadores games. He was phenomenal last season as they won the Brazilian Serie A. He's 21. He can play as a six or an eight. He's got really good passing ability. He's super, super diligent in terms of tracking runners. He's a relentless tackler. He can press. He can do pretty much anything you would want. He would have been high on my shortlist of, you know, if we don't get Moises Caicedo, who's the guy to go and get to be our next Ginny? He would have been very high on that list. He was linked with Arsenal in the summer and they couldn't put a deal together for him. I I don't know how Forrest managed to swing this with nobody else jumping in, but he's been, the other thing about him is he's been really well coached by a really good manager the last few years in Abel Ferreira. And I think he's he's already showing in the Premier League what he can do. I think he's been excellent since joining Forrest. And you look at the run they're on, it, you know, he, he's helped improve that team already. I don't like most of the rest of their business from this month, but I think that is an unbelievably good get. And I think in him and Morgan Gibbs-White, they have two of my favorite young midfielders in the league. And uh, I'm I'm very, very excited to watch more of him this season and, and see how he continues to develop because I think that's a stupidly good deal. How many players do you reckon Forrest are going to sell or have to sell in the summer? 80. There's so 80. many there now. They um, brought in seven new players in this month, plus a few came back off loan and got re-loaned. But they brought in seven new players. Daniel, Felipe, who I think is garbage. Ayu, who's years past being useful, and I think they might have only signed to stop him signing for a rival at the foot of the table. <laughs> Scarpa, I do really like. I think he's a really clever player, but I'm not sure he's a starter for them, but he'll be a, a good squad player. I don't really understand why they signed Shelby. Like, I'll, I'll need someone to explain that one to me. Kaylor Navas, I think, is a clever move, given the injury to Henderson and the fact that Wayne Hennessy's crap. And they signed Chris Wood on loan, which I can only assume the injury to Awani is worse than they're letting on. And maybe he's out for the season. Because otherwise, I don't really understand why you'd sign Chris Wood. Yeah, I'm not sure about that one either. But, uh, I mean, numbers-wise, across the course of the season, you're pushing, what, 30 deals in total? And you still had players left over from the squad from the previous year. And they've already tried to offload a couple of them uh, in January who they signed in the summer as well so it was always going to be a big job to get a, a Premier League worthy squad and I suppose you can say that it's kind of working in that they've got enough wins of late to pull them clear of that bottom sort of five or six or so but then you've still got a big squad gelling issue to, to overcome in the next few months and then offload some in the summer as well yeah, and look, I think it's huge credit to Steve Cooper that he has been able to turn this around. I think it's credit to the ownership who backing him. Yeah, yeah, it was like it was reported that they were about to sack him, and then within two days he signed a new contract and he got their full backing and they've put their trust in him. And he's shown at both Swansea and Forest since taking over that he can turn things around very quickly. He can gel a collection of individuals into a team and he can figure things out. I think he's a very, very good manager. And obviously, you know, having worked at the England underage group probably helps that because you only have players for a short period. So you're expected to get results. I, I think credit goes to them. Obviously, look, the the, Jan the summer recruitment was 
was a bit mental. But again, I think most of it was necessary because they lost so many players from last year's squad. But it was very clearly there was two there was two groups at work. There was Cooper and certain people at work, and then there was the owner's son kind of doing things by himself as well. So now they seem to have gotten a little bit more on the same page. And I think the summer is going to be big for them. I, I, I think they'll stay up. I think the summer will be big for them in terms of having to obviously shift off a lot of players that just either aren't good enough or aren't getting enough game time. But uh, I, I think the Neo is absolutely a foundational piece for them for the next couple of years or or until a, a top club comes in and nicks them. But, um my third one is kind of the same as your second one in that I think it's a really good move for the team to get him. I'm really surprised no one else went for him and I'm not 100% sure if it's great for the player or not. Um, Camaldine Suleimane uh, signed for Southampton and the only two teams who were in for him were the Premier League's bottom two clubs, Everton and Southampton. He's chosen Southampton, which is fine. I think stylistically they're a better fit than Everton would be. Yeah. Uh, especially now that it's right rather than Lampard, who was there at the time that they were uh, trying to sign him. But I, I, I just can't shake the feeling he's a lot better than they are. And I can't believe that nobody else went in for him at all. See, I, I agree with you that I can't believe no one else went in. But when I, when, when I kind of step back and look at Southampton and start to project them maybe 12 months from now, even if they go down, I think there's a hell of a team to be built there because I think Basunu's excellent. I think Livermento's a star in the making at right back once he gets back. Larius looks a real prospect at left back. Bella Kotchup and Salisu as a two. I think there's huge potential, especially Bella Kotchup, who's on my short list of centre-backs I want us to bring in in the summer. In midfield, you've got um, Lavia, who I, I, I think is, is going to be one of the best in the world in his position. I think he's sensational. I really like Ibrahima Diallo, who, who's just a great box-to-box ball-winning midfielder. I like Sekumara as a winger. I really like Sulemana on the other wing. Now, I don't, I don't know. Uno Achu, I think, will score them goals. I think he's a weird fit with, with the type of players they've got. But if they get him service, he will score. And then if the third midfielder, so you go 4-3-3 and it's Mara, uh, Unuachu and, and Sulemana as the front three, Lavia as the six, Diallo as one of the eights. If Carlos Alcarez can make that other position his own, I think that 11 in the championship getting battle-hardened and tested and maturing under the right manager comes up into the Premier League as a ready-made top-half challenging team and to do that, they'd obviously have to keep those young players going down. There's no reason to sell any of them unless you're in financial trouble, but they could sell off Ward Prowse, Walker Peters, and Che Adams, all of whom they had Premier League teams call about in January. If they could sell them to kind of make up the financial shortfall, keep all of those young players, add a couple more, I do think that going down could actually lead them coming back up a much better team and a lot of these players coming back up as much better players. But I am a little bit surprised that they've been able to get um, Suleimana because I, I think he is... Now, I know he hasn't 
set the world alight at Wren largely because of injuries. But I think he's a very, very special talent. Yeah, I do. And it's going to be interesting to see how much he actually plays across the course of this half season because he's not, mm. like you say, he's not had loads of game time um, this season in and out of the team. He's mostly been used as an as a impact player for them. But even so, I think this is quite a big drop considering the amount of money they've paid for him as well. And he had you know, reasonable impact last year. Again, not not huge wild game time. Lots in the first half of the season, injured for the second half of the season mostly. But this is he's such a good player. He's a really, really good player. And maybe you're right, maybe maybe going down into the championship and sort of there's a bit more precedent for it now, I think, in England. Maybe it's, you know, the fact that you're very, very well compensated in the championship, even versus mm-hmm. let's say La Liga or versus Ligue 1 or anything like that. But people like the Watford boys going down and staying there, the Norwich guys going down yeah. and staying there, they have that extra season and try to come back up. So Maybe right, and lots of them do so. I think Suleimana costs that much that they kind of must have agreed with him. If we go down, you'll be the star for a year yeah. in the championship, and then you'll come up and be a first choice, and then we'll see how high you can go. Um, so, you know, hopefully for them it works out, but more hopefully for him because I do think that there's an enormous talent there if someone can get that mm. on. Yeah, me too. Me too. I would imagine that when we were, you know, a couple of years ago planning for the future after Sadio. I would imagine he was high on the on the list of of players that we had our eye on, and I'd imagine Jeremy Doku was another one. And I'm actually surprised that it's him and not Doku that Ren have sold because Doku's been a little bit more disappointing there. Um, but I still think he would have brought a good fee. But I, like overall, I really like what Southampton did. Uh, Sulemanu Onoachu uh, Alcaraz, I think, is is a superbly gifted midfielder. Mislav Orsic, I think he's a, he's a really good player. Now, I'd imagine he is the one that they signed who probably, they said, look, if, if we go down, we'll sell you. We'll make a little bit of money, but we'll sell you on. You won't have to do the championship thing. Um, I don't really understand the signing of James Bree other than Nathan Jones wanting a player that might actually listen to him because none of the other players seem to like him. Uh, it would be no surprise if they change manager again before the end of the season. Um, but yeah, overall, I think you have to give them credit for a good window. And I, I think you have to give them a credit for, you know, looking at their situation, thinking, you know what, if we're going down, we're going down fighting and we're also going down with the best possible chance of coming back up. They spent 60 million in the window. I think that's really impressive. And I think you look at um, Leeds spent a lot of money. Bournemouth spent a lot of money. Bournemouth, including... The commitment they've made to my next player, if they go down, Bournemouth are looking at having spent about eighty million in this window, which is a lot of money. But again, they're putting themselves in a position that if they go down, they'll be in good nick to come back up. Uh, Zabrani Uatara, who looks looks a really exciting player, uh, Semenyo looks a good player. He's been at Bristol for a few years. But the one I really like is Hamid Junior Traore, who they've brought in from Sassuolo. Now, it's a loan with an option to buy. I assume that option is, or it's an obligation, but I assume it's, you know, if we stay up, we, we buy him. But I think he's a hell of a player. I think he's a really, really exciting player to bring in. And the natural attacking midfielder can play wide if you need him to, but he's best in central areas. I think he gives them something they didn't have, which is creativity and inventiveness in the midfield area. I, I really like the signing of Hamid Junior Traore. I think it's a I think it's a big brave signing 
by Bournemouth as well. Yeah, I, I do like this addition. Um, again, I would say that I'm a little bit surprised that there were not slightly better clubs going for him, I think. Um, not Maybe not quite as much as Suleimana and certainly with the price tag, but even so, what, what he's very good at in terms of carrying the ball, being able to break the lines by simply bursting past people, really good close control, probably needs a little bit in terms of the final decision over whether to pass or cross or shoot, whatever he does at the end of his runs, the timing of releasing the ball needs a bit of work, but he's a line breaker and I don't think you can have too many of them in your squad, mm. basically. I mean, Liverpool right now, if we take Salah out of the equation because he's not playing very well, I don't honestly think that we have anybody at the moment in the team who is a, a, a line breaker in possession. Um, you know, discounting passing here. I mean, actually on the ball and what you do with it. So Naby can, but he hasn't done it for ages. Naby hasn't, hasn't done it for ages. Yeah, just the most he does now is a give and go, and they work quite well in in crowded areas. But Naby himself does not do it anymore. He hasn't done it for no. years. No, uh, no, he's lost his burst. Yeah, which you know, after all the injuries, is probably a protective thing as well as much as anything else, to be honest. But that's not for this this conversation. So Hamadou Troy, I think, is a good addition. I'm not. I'm not fully sure how they're going to utilise him because I agree with you, he's better in central areas. But, you know, if it's a Kiefer Moore, Dom Solanke, more or less playing together all the time, I, I don't know. Do they play him off the left sort of thing so they've got Tavernier on one side and him on the other? Or do they sacrifice one of those forwards and have this extra uh, component to, to sort of link play through the middle and be able to get into the final third? I think they sacrifice one of the strikers. I think they probably go... Tavernier and Uatara as the wide players, Solanke through the middle and play him with two more, would say Jefferson Lerma and Lewis Cook, mm. who will do more of the defensive work and free him up to be more attack-minded. Um, I still don't like the situation at right back. I think they've got a collection of crap there. But they bring in Vina as a left back on loan. You're going to play Lloyd Kelly there as well when he's back, so you'll have good options there. Sanisi or Lloyd Kelly next to Zerbani. I think they're going to be in decent enough nick throughout, but it, it, the pieces all have to click. The only doubt I have with the Traore deal for them is he seemed to be their plan C. Like they went for Nico Jackson, then they went for Zaniolo, and then they went to him, and they're all kind of different profiles mm. of players. So I'm not really sure if they have a clear vision. I also don't think they've got a very good manager. I don't think Gary O'Neill is ready for this kind of job, but it's neither here nor there. Like, I do really like the player. I, I like what he could be for them playing in midfield with Cook and Lerma or Billing, letting him be more advanced, more attacking. Even in a 4-2-3-1, if, if Uatara and, and Tavernier are the wide players and he's the 10 behind Solanke with a double pivot behind him, I think that might be their best course of action. I also quite like Jaden Anthony. He's only a bit part player, maybe more yeah, impact. Yeah, a good player. I quite like him, yeah. What else have you got for me then? Uh, um, your, let's pick two deals that you don't particularly like. Okay. And then we'll um, do the one that you wish Liverpool had done. Okay, two deals I don't like. The first deal I don't like was made by Aston Villa Football Club and the signing from Real Betis of Alex Moreno. Now, it's nothing really against him as a player, but you've spent a significant amount of money on a 29-year-old left-back who I don't think 
is an upgrade on the 29-year-old left-back that you paid $30 million for a year ago. I'm also not sure he's a huge upgrade on Ludwig Augustinsson, who you've sent back from his loan. I think that money could have been better spent in another area that Villa are lacking. And Villa are lacking in a number of areas right now. So I don't, I don't like that deal. And I haven't been impressed with what I've seen from him since coming over. I thought he was absolutely shocking against Leicester at the weekend. And I, I just haven't been impressed. Yeah, fair. I think it was a, an odd one um, when it was done, to be honest, again, because not that I think Moreno's a bad player and he had a really, really good season with, with Betis as well last year. So you know, there's there's that to be said. But I just think that sometimes getting a good player is not the best thing if the margin of improvement from who you have there already is not as good as it could be somewhere else. Uh, if you're looking at the overall team building and progression of the team, maybe you want the big jump in a different area, let's say. Um, you know, maybe he goes on and gets a bit better. And I, I do like Moreno as a footballer. And um, do I like him better than Dina? I'm not really sure. There's not that much in it. Is the is the point here, isn't it? So fine for depth or competition or whatever, but I don't think he's going to be a transformative figure for them. No, I agree with that. I do agree with that. Uh, which one? Which, which is the first one that you didn't like? Then I did not like the signing of Leandro Trossard for Arsenal. Um, <laughs> I get that he was, you know, second choice and a cheaper option than Mikhailo Mudrik, who they put all their eggs into the basket of, but this is quite a big departure from what Mudrik is. Um, They spent quite a lot of money on Trossard relative to, I think, what he will give them. And at 28 years of age, you're not going to get any more from him. He's not going to displace someone like Martinelli in the way that Mudrik could well have gone on to do. Um... This this is, for me, just a squad filler sort of um, addition. And like I say, for the amount that they paid for him, for the fact that it kind of seemed like they just accepted him because they wanted somebody to come in in that role, I don't really think it's a good move. I I disagree. I actually like this one. I, I'm, not, I'm not the biggest Trossard fan. I don't think he's this top-end player. I know a few people wanted us to have a look at him. Um, I prefer them signing him to signing Mudrik. Number one, he's about a quarter of the price. Number two, he's far more versatile than Mikhailo Mudrik, who plays one position. And the one position he plays is the position in which you have Gabriel Martinelli, who's one of your best young players, and you also have Emile Smith-Rowe, who's also one of your best young players. Now, I know Smith-Rowe can play other roles, but in that current Arsenal team, the only position he's really suited to is that left-sided role because they're not playing Odegaard as a 10 anymore. He's playing more as an 8, which doesn't really suit what Smith-Rowe is at the moment. Whereas with Trossard, I, I feel like if Sack is missing, you can play Trossard on the right. He's got plenty of experience there. If Eddie and Ketty were to get hurt in the next couple of weeks, you could play him as your central striker. It would be a, a little bit different, but it's something that might work. I think had they had they gone big on Mudrick, I think they would have regretted it. Because neither him nor Martinelli long-term... Like, I know it's a squad game. I, I know it's a squad game. But when you're an elite player, which 
Martinelli looks like he could become, and I think a lot of people believe Mudrik could become, I don't think you're going to want to be rotating heavily with somebody else. And then what happens with Smith Rowe? I, I, I think this is actually, it, it wouldn't have been the guy I'd have gone for, but I think it's actually a smarter move for them than blowing the budget on Mudrik, who I think would have caused problems down the line, either with forcing Martinelli to look elsewhere or forcing Smith Rowe elsewhere. And I think both of them are more talented than he is. So I, I actually disagree on this one. So I'm not comparing him to whether or not he's a better deal than Mudrick, just the deal itself I don't like. Um, maybe I see this thing. I, 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 the deal itself, I don't mind. because no, it, It's not a huge amount of money. He's got plenty of Premier League pre- pedigree. And I think he's got decent versatility. So, yeah, I, I don't mind. I think like he on his debut against United, came on, made the goal. I think he can make a difference in, in different areas for you. So I'm not, I'm not against it. I didn't like the signing of Jorginho because I don't really understand why they've done that. Like, you wanted Caicedo, so you signed Jorginho instead, and he's your backup to Thomas Partey, despite not offering the same things Thomas Partey offers. And in doing that, you also loan out Sambi Lakonga, who clearly isn't ready to play for Arsenal, but at least has physicality and a bit of speed. Jorginho came on against Everton, and it, it was almost like Arsenal played with 10 men for the remainder of the game because he couldn't catch up with anybody. I saw a clip of him. Now, this is from when he was at Chelsea. He's, he's full sprint, Carl. Full sprint in defensive transition, and the referee overtakes him. I don't understand why they've signed Jorginho. Hello, I'm here to annoy you. I'm here to annoy you into listening to more of me and more of others on EPL Index. We don't just have the Anfield Index stuff. We've got EPL Index as well, which covers the entirety of the Premier League. And we have three podcasts and a whole bunch of really good writing on EPLindex.com. The podcasts are my own two-footed podcast, which is every day at 4 p.m., Monday through Friday, covering the whole league. We have a Tad Predictable hosted by Tadiwa. You know Tadiwa, he does Anfield Index. He presents a Tad Predictable before every Premier League match week. And then Kevin DeVries and his crew on the EPL Roundtable there every week after the Premier League match week. So make sure you listen to everything we're doing on EPL Index and follow us there on Twitter at EPL Index. Thank you. Bye-bye. Yeah, uh, I mean, I'm not keen on this one either. And I don't see the overall appeal of Jorginho. I've never been a fan of Jorginho, to be honest. Not at Chelsea, not beforehand. It was a a signing of wanting someone in to play Sarri's way, basically. And that's why they got him. And that's fine. And I understand that certain managers want that controlling, deep sort of player. But... One, I would never have him in a double pivot. Never, ever, ever. If you want to have him in a three, fine, but then you have two really aggressive, mobile 
uh, ball winning, ball carrying, all the things that Jorginho mm. can't do basically ahead of him. I don't think you can cope with that with just one player beside him. And two, he just doesn't, stylistically, I don't think he fits the way that Arsenal play. He doesn't release the ball quick enough for my liking and not for how quickly Arsenal shifted through midfield now. And um, I, I, I don't also really see that he can replace let's say Granite Xhaka if he's in the side because he's not going to he's not going to run forward and, and do that sort of additional attacking element that Xhaka has been doing really well this season and therefore you're going to not just lose out on that but also block off where Zinchenko comes in field and plays um, when when he fills that Xhaka hole sort of thing um, so it's really only in for Tomas Partey and he's not a ball winner which Tomas is mainly the one for Arsenal who does that as well so it's not a great fit no, it's an odd one. It really is. And like, if you're going up against a team with any kind of speed in midfield and two of your midfield three are Jorginho and Xhaka, who, who is having a very good season, you're going to be really slow, like really slow. And Xhaka is going to end up doing the types of stupid things he was notorious for doing prior to this season, lunging into chat into challenges because he thinks he has to make up for someone else's shortfalls. Like Partey has been immense this season, but I I just I, I this 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 deal doesn't make sense. And if Partey goes away for any period of time for injury or whatever, I think they're gonna they're gonna really struggle in midfield. Um one more then that you don't like um, struggling for one that I actively didn't like. I think there are a few which are like quite meh, you know, not really bothered about it either way. They could work out, they could not. Um, but one I didn't like for the player, let's say, I'm not really sure that it's going to benefit him, is Marcel Sabitzer. It's only a loan deal. He's gone to United. He might get a few chances now because there's a couple of injuries, Ericsson and that. But uh, I, I think he's made a couple of bad career moves basically since um, leaving. Leipzig where he was such a key player and I don't think that he's going to be able to impact too much here either he is a very good player but I think he's mm. just one of those typical ones who is just about Champions League quality but not elite quality and so if you make that move up you're basically making yourself a second choice yeah I, I do agree with that I thought Bayern was the wrong move for him unless he was happy to be a squad player which I don't think he is and I think this is, like you said, he, he'll get opportunities because Ericsson's injured and, you know, he, he is versatile. He can play a bunch of positions, but unless he wants to become a utility squad player, um, I don't really like the move for him. But for United, I think it is a clever move and they were able to get it done kind of in an emergency and very quick. So you can kind of give them a, a free pass. Can I give you one more that I didn't like? By all means. Anthony Gordon to Newcastle. Ooh, contentious. I don't like. Go on. I just, I just don't like him as a player. Like <laughs> I, I don't see outside of his his speed. I don't see what you would want that he brings you. He's not a particularly good finisher. He's not a particularly good dribbler. He doesn't do. He's he at least he. He's active in his defensive work in that he will chase back, but he chases back into space rather than to a man. I think you've paid 40, 45 million for somebody that's an idea rather than an actuality. The guy has more yellow, has as many yellow cards as, as goals and assists. And the most notable thing I can tell you about him is that he's 
a flagrant diver. Like, I just, I don't like that move for Newcastle. I think they've done really well to this date with who they've targeted and who they've brought in. And I, I like the, the the get of Harrison Ashby in the window as well. I think that's a clever pickup as a, as a backup right back that you can develop. And potentially he's someone that can replace uh, Kieran Trippier in, in a couple of years. But I, I just don't know why you would spend $45 million on Anthony Gordon when you had other areas that I think would have needed more addressing. Like, they were also linked with Conor Gallagher. And Everton had a bid of $45 million, I believe, accepted for Gallagher, and Gallagher turned the move down. I kind of feel like Newcastle should have made that bid instead and gotten Gallagher in. Because Gallagher with Bruno and either Willock or Jolington or Longstaff, I think that makes more sense than this guy who, let's be honest, if you're going to win something, he's not starting for you. I, I just don't like this move. I don't like it on any side. I don't like it for Everton because they've, well, no, no, I, I do like it for Everton because they've got 45 million for a player I wouldn't pay 15 million for, but then they didn't reinvest it in their team. So they're they're down a player. I don't like it for Newcastle. And I think for him, do you remember when Sean Wright Phillips broke through at at City and was really exciting and scored goals and then went to Chelsea when Chelsea got all the money? And just sort of his career just got completely t- torpedoed and he went downhill and downhill and downhill and was then just mediocre the rest of the time. That's what I think this will be. And I don't think he's starting out at the same height of ability and performance that Sean Wright Phillips was at. My suspicion is here that Newcastle think they've got a really good deal because of the prices that were quoted in the summer. And because we're about like what sixty percent of that right now, something like that, which which they've actually paid for him, so it feels like they've got a better deal. But actually, it's it's quite an expensive one. Like probably thirty million is your starting price anyway for any English fairly young attacker. So you're kind of going from there, and so it might not feel like they've paid over the top for it. But like you say, he's not actually done too much yet. I think if he's going to be in your eleven, your other two in the front three. You basically have to have an in-form fit St. Maximan all the time and Gordon is the winger who balances him out almost. Like You've got someone who's going to have all the magic, all the ball carrying, all the creativity, all the uh, chance creation, everything basically. And so to be able to carry that in your side on the opposite flank, you need someone who's going to have the hard work off the ball, get back into position. If that's what it is, it's a very big overpay for that. Hmm. Yeah, you're basically paying 40-odd million for Dirk Kout, who's a, sm- a smaller version of Dirk Kout with shit hair. He doesn't score. <laughs> he doesn't score as much, and Dirk wasn't exactly prolific for us. Right. Let's have a look at a couple of deals that we would have liked Liverpool to have gotten involved with. So I'll let you go first on this one. Right. Well, I would have had any one of the two. Um, whether you want to take a fairly low-cost loan but with bigger wages or you want to take a let's say middling uh, permanent deal price but probably with just average sort of wages either way i don't think either of them would be let's say outspending what we spent on artur for example to take him on loan for the entire season and so that is mario lamina or weston mckinney 
Um, neither of them are midfielders who I would sign for Liverpool to be title-winning midfield components. Mm. Both of them are who I would have had straight into the Liverpool lineup on Monday night against Everton because they have athletic ability, uh, can pass a football five yards, will do tactical instructions to the letter and basically can run all game long, which none of our others seem to be able to do at the moment. Yeah, I, I agree. Weston McKennie is the one that would have popped out to me, um, given you know age, physicality. I do think he's one that would have made quite a bit of sense for us. Um, we'd obviously we we had talks with Juventus in the summer. They've loaned out three midfielders to the Premier League, and Zakaria's had some good moments for um, for Chelsea. I think McKenney has the most upside of the three. I think, like you said, he, he wouldn't be a starter in a Premier League winning midfield. But I think if he was, say, the fifth midfielder in your three-man midfield, who you could play as either in either eight position, I, I absolutely think he would be a good fit. I think he's... If we, if we consider what it seemed like Klopp wanted to do, which was... A midfield three of, let's say, Naby. In in 2019, when Naby arrived, we had Naby, we had Fabinho arriving as well. We had Ginny already entrenched. We had Henderson and we had Ox. And that was kind of our five-man group. Um, If you take McKenney as, say, the Ox type, I know he's not as attack-minded as Ox, but that... Physical, freak of nature, pressing machine, athletic, aggressive, can run all day, every day. That kind of role is where I would envisage McKenney. I think it's a very good deal for Leeds. I think having him, Adams and Roca gives you the opportunity to either rotate them all, because I think you can make a partnership of any two of that three, or you can play them as a three. I think it's a clever, I think it's a very clever move. And yeah, I definitely would have taken him on loan and lumped him straight into the first team because he's one of the few players I think could could live with Onana on Monday night. I don't think we have anybody who could. Over to you. I don't need a VPN. I've got nothing to hide. <laughs> this is what I used to tell myself before I hooked up with LibertyShield.com. Not only is my home internet now fully encrypted, but I can now access all the websites I want, whenever I want, and do so from absolutely anywhere. As a Liverpool fan, I love to know I can now watch every match, regardless of whether it's on UK TV or not. My Liberty Shield VPN makes sure nothing is blocked and guarantees me super-fast streaming speed throughout that match. You can get connected right now with their software package, which includes a 48-hour no-obligation free trial and instant access to their apps for Apple, Android, Fire TV, PC, Mac and Android TV. Or go a step further like I have and get one of their pre-configured VPN routers. These small but powerful devices allow you to easily connect every device in your home to VPN making it the perfect solution for smart TVs, mag boxes and games consoles. 
Visit libertyshield.com today and use coupon code AIVPN25 to get 25% off at checkout. This is somebody we have been linked with in the past and the club that have taken him in have gotten him on loan with an obligation to buy in the summer. I think if you look at our front three options, we've obviously got a number of left-wingers. We've got a number of people that can play through the middle. But we've only really got Mo on the right. Now, I know people will say Ben Doak, he's he's an embryo. Harvey doesn't really have the pace to play there if Mo's not there. I would have been very interested in Kevin Shade, who Brentford got on loan with the obligation from Freiburg. I think he's a tremendously talented player. Now, he is right-footed, so he's a little bit unusual in that he's a right-footer who prefers to play on the right. But he's very much, I'm going to get it and I'm driving towards goal. I'm not going wide. I'm getting it. I'm going towards goal. He likes to play in that channel between left-back and left-centre-back. And I think he's got the type of pace that fits in well with, you know, with our front line. He's one because he's also he can also play left. He can play to the middle, but he does prefer to play on the right. And I think he would have been a, a very clever signing for us. He's only just turned twenty-one. He's got a big upside. I, I would have been all over him. I do like to see him playing through the middle as well. Actually, at times he's he's played like basically as. as necessarily as a nine, but basically as a centre-forward anyway. Um, I do note, that actually, his only goal this season has come from when he played from the left-hand side. Um, so he wouldn't be, let's say, a Mo one-for-one one and you still try and get the same goal-scoring output from him, but as a longer-term option and then maybe Mo through the middle. Yeah, the build-up play has got to change anyway and increasingly we see Trent uh, deep and central rather than high and wide. So, mm. yeah, would have been an interesting... Uh, now, last season as well, he got he got seven goals and two assists in, in 1,100 minutes. And most of those goals did come playing on the right. So I think there is there is definitely potential for him to to develop that, that goal-scoring side of his game as well. Um, but yeah, like you said, he, he hasn't had a prolific year this year. Now, he did have a number of ish injuries last season, which I think might have turned us off. He had an abdominal strain that kept him out for like, I don't know, three months or something, but might, 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 might have even been a bit longer. But I do think he's a very, very talented one. Like you, I like I like the fact that he can play through the middle. And what, what I would look at as well is if we were going to switch to a 4-4-2, like a, a variant of a 4-4-2, and say we have Diaz on the left, Darwin and Mo through the middle, Jota can play left or the Darwin role, then I think he can also be a kind of a Mo alternative as one of two through the middle. Um, he would have, he, he, I think he would have made a lot of sense for us, but obviously we went a, we went a different direction with Gakpo. But I think Shade might have, in the longer term, proved to be just a, a more natural fit into how we want to play, and obviously gives you the option of him playing right wing either. Uh, give me one more then. No, I just wanted those two. One of those two. Ball winner, midfielder, carrier, destroyer, someone to knit things together. Yeah, I mean, and, and for me, like, the uh, Shade was one. I, I also wanted somebody in the midfield area. And the two that sort of... Danilo was probably the one I would have liked us to get in on the most of, of everybody who moved in this window. Because I think he made immediate sense for us. 
Um, but two others that I, I'd look at, Zhao Gomes, who's gone to um, to Wolves. My assumption is he goes there, spends six months getting used to things, and then we take Nunes in the summer, and he steps into the, the void that's left. That's my assumption. I could be completely wrong. But he certainly would have been one that has plenty of fight in him, plenty of aggression in him. I, I like Pedro Porro at, at Spurs. Just as an aside, I think if we could have got him and moved Trent to right side of midfield playing narrow and had Poro overlapping like a machine up and down on the right, that would have been quite good. Um, the other one then that I would look at is a signing made by Crystal Palace, uh, Ahamada, the young midfielder they've brought in from Stuttgart. Um, again, they're probably not ready to walk into Liverpool, but... Considering how dreadful we are at the moment, I, I think he would have he would have started for us pretty much straight away. Powerful, rangy, box to box type player, strong in the challenge, decent on the ball. I think this is yet more excellent scouting and, and talent identification by Crystal Palace. I think him and Dukure potentially is going to be an absolutely monstrous pairing. Uh, if they can keep the two of them together, I, I think they're going to be in, in very, very good shape. Is Liverpool's summer work just about getting in a new recruitment team from some sort of hybrid combo, Palace, Brighton, sort of anywhere on the South Coast kind of region? Yeah, maybe. Maybe. Palace, Brighton, Brentford. You know, maybe it's it's we need to do some uh, industrial espionage. Um, maybe we, we send someone undercover to steal their secrets. And and we do well. The, the, the thing, do you know, the funniest part of it is that all of those teams just copied us. This is the, the the truth of it. Like we we had the blueprint in Doctor Ian Graham and his staff, Michael Edwards, Barry Hunter, Dave Fallows, and the scouts that worked under them. We had the blueprint. We were the model club. And Edwards is gone. His replacement is gone. And it was very clear that when Edwards left and Ward took over, there was a big shift in the in the approach, which definitely wasn't part of the, the, the plan when Edwards was handing over. Certainly not what Julian Ward wanted because he's now walking away. Ian Graham is walking away and Melissa Reddy confirms what we already suspected, that they feel like they're roles have been marginalized so they're not having the same sort of input we we had everything you would need to rebuild this team except a manager who bought into the idea of rebuilding the team Jurgen didn't want to do it didn't want to part with the players that he felt deserved his loyalty said it himself i'll never force a player to leave a club unless they want to leave Yes, you can force players to leave. They, and they are commodities and they are to be traded like commodities. They're assets of the club and they should have been sold. Many of them were sold too late or let go when their contracts expired and they should have been sold a year or two earlier. Divock Origi, Ginny Wijnaldum, Emre Chan, Albi Moreno, Adam Lalana, Dejan Lovren. All of these players should have been sold earlier. Sadio Mane should have been sold two years beforehand. Mo, if we're being honest and we want if we had wanted to do what we had done in the first place, Mo would have been sold. And, you know, Henderson would be gone. Milner would be gone. 
the only players brought in for big money that you would be keeping would be Allison and Virgil, the two pillars of defence. And you'd be supplementing around them with an Ibu. Andy Robertson would be going this summer. Fabinho would be going this summer. But Jurgen didn't want to do that. And that's probably why Michael Edwards and Ian Graham, who'd plotted out this course for this team, the next team, the one after, that's why they've left. Now Jurgen has to fix it. And to do that, he's going to need to find the right people to go around him because the right people clearly aren't there right now because the recruitment has definitely, definitely not gone as planned. And he also needs somebody who can convince him when he's unsure, which is what Edwards was great at. Edwards convinced him on Sadio, convinced him on Mo, convinced him on others. Jurgen probably needs somebody to who 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 he can put enough faith in who's got the right ideas. So like not Pep and Linders. Um but yeah, I think I think what we have to do now is try and rebuild what we once had. Not easy to do in one window, as we have discovered, unless you are giving out hundred million deals and eight and a half year contracts. And I don't think yeah. I don't think Liverpool will be doing that in the summer. No, no, the eight the eight and a half year contracts are are, are not going to be a thing for us. Um and then that's a good thing. I mean, that is a good thing because, look, you look at Chelsea's recruitment, I think Enzo's incredible and I don't care what the price is. I think it's an unbelievable signing. But I think it's a massive overpay on Mudrick based on five Champions League games because if you're telling me you're buying him based on what you saw in the U- Ukrainian League, I'm telling you you're an idiot because the Ukrainian League that he's done well in this year is basically – you know, the Ukrainian league with all the good foreign players gone because most of them were allowed to leave because of the war. And some of them just, you know, are sitting at home, not playing anywhere. Uh, Badi Ashile, I do like. I think that's a good signing. Uh, Noni Mudeki, I really like him as a player. I'm not sure it's the right move for him. Malo Gusto, I really like. Andre Santos looks a star. Datro Fafana looks very, very promising. Uh, and Jeff Felix, I think they signed him to sort of try and build for how they're going to play when they get in Kunku, and it's just one out, one in. But it, there's still no goals to be had in that team. There's there's no goals anywhere, and you know you spent six hundred and forty million or something in that ridiculous region between the summer and now plus the Nkunku money to go on top of that. And you've had to replace a manager already and, and spent a fortune to get his replacement. You're 700 and odd million into this. You still have Kepa as your goalkeeper and you don't have anyone at the club that can score you 15, 20 goals a season. So, and, and you've still got some other holes to fill. So, you know, like it's it's a great idea in practice, throwing money around left and right and trying to show you've got the biggest set of testicles in the room. but other, all things considered, uh, Chelsea are not are not a threat to win anything at the moment. Um, before we go, I wanted your opinion on the news that came out yesterday that Jesse Marsh has been removed as Leeds United manager. Uh, Leeds are obviously in a bad run of form. They're 17th in the league. They're only outside the relegation zone on goal difference at the moment. But they let him spend a lot of money in the January transfer window, Carl. Or or at least they spent a lot of money in the January transfer window to back him. And then to sack him after one game beyond the window, it just 
it doesn't seem like smart practice for me, but I can kind of understand why they have done it, given where they sit in the league. Yes, points and position you can understand. Actual performances, I don't think so. Um, I mean, even if you take the Nottingham Forest game at the weekend, bottom line is that they lost again. And yes, by those sort of measures, then yeah, you can understand it. But they were better than Nottingham Forest again. Like the first, say, 20, 20 minutes or so, something like that, they could have been 2-0 up, I would say, based on good chances, not just dominance of play or anything they had the they had the opportunities they created the openings they were the much better side they didn't score and then they conceded on basically the first not even chance half chance that Nottingham Forest had and then they never obviously got themselves back back on level terms but that was four Premier League games in a row whereby XG which is not everything except that but it's, a, it's an indication as the season goes on it vaguely pans out roughly along the lines of where you are but XG they've air quotes here, beaten the last four teams they've played in the Premier League. They they should have taken, by that measure, 12 points. They took two. And they won none of those games. So I I, I, I don't go only by, by statistics. I try to very, very much stay clear of that. I think they can give you a great, um, really, really good standing point of what you're looking at, as long as you understand what you're looking at as well. I think Leeds are a decent side. And I think Leeds have the prospects to be a pretty good mid-table side just with the players that they've got at the minute. There are Agreed. components that they need to improve on, right? I don't like Luke Ayling. I, I quite like Pascal Stroke, but I don't like him at left-back very much. Uh, and sometimes I think that they needed to maybe have an extra midfielder instead of a 10. There, there are bits where you can improve, but they're a better side than where they are at the minute. So I think he should have been given far more time or far less time. You can't... There's, there's, it's... Honestly, there's no more stupid time to sack a manager than three, four days after the transfer window shot. Mm. It makes no sense whatsoever. Um, you know, even to the extent of like maybe not so much Rutter, but Weston McKenney. Like he's he's come in because Jesse Marsh has asked him to. You know, to come and play alongside yeah. uh, Brendan Aronson and Tyler Adams, and uh, manager obviously of the, of the same nation and culture and team building and reasons and all the rest of it. And now he's not there anymore, and it's just a bit pointless. Why go and make a club record signing of an attacker and then get rid of the manager who you bought him for before he's even had a chance to start him. It makes no sense. It's a very, very poor, I think, decision overall. Now, I, I like Jesse Marsh and people who listen to the podcast will know that. So maybe they'll feel that, you know, a bit biased on that side of things, but I like him because he's a good coach. I like him because he's shown yeah. over and over again that he knows how to build a team maybe not the best team but he knows how to build a team and I think that Leeds would have over the longer term been better off with him but we'll see um, you know the pressure of going down and especially after spending that kind of money can obviously do certain things and when they see a couple of other teams pulling the trigger and change a manager maybe that has an impact as well I, I agree I think there's I, I don't understand how there seems to be no pressure on Victor Orta who's the the director of football who, you know, has has brought in all these players and some of them have been poor fits over the last three years or that they've been in the league. He's spent some money strangely. Dan James been the prime example. Um but like I think you if for for a manager walking in now, I think that's a very appealing job. Now I have doubts over the goalkeeper because I think he's very young and inexperienced and still makes the same kind of mistakes he was making three years ago. There's no doubting he's talented. 
I really like Christensen at right back. I don't know why Ailing was back in the team because I think he's crap. I, I actually don't mind streak at left back because I think you can kind of shift it into a back three and just let Christensen go and attack more. But, you know, Wober and, and Robin Cox is a fine centre-back pairing. In midfield, like I said, with McKenney, you can play either a two or a three. You've got Aronson, you've got Reuter, you've got Nanto, you've got Sinisteri, you've got Somerville, you've got Harrison. So you've loads of options to play in the three behind the striker. Reuter can play as a striker, but I don't think it's ideal for him. The problem I, I have is that Rodrigo, he's, he's scored a number of goals this season, but you don't know what you're getting game to game with him. He's so inconsistent and he's injury prone. And Bamford is just injury prone. He's a good player when he's fit and he can score you goals, but he's always injured. So, like, I think I think a good manager walking in there now can can keep them up without question. I think there's more than enough talent to be in mid-table. But I think they have to get this decision right. And some of the names being linked would not fill me with confidence at all. Um, I, 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 Carlos Corbron, he looks good. He's he's doing a very good job at West Brom. He did he did well in his second season with Huddersfield, but he was a disaster the first season with Huddersfield, and he was a disaster at Olympiacos. So what's to say he won't go into Leeds and be a disaster for for four or five months, which you can't afford? For me, I would be taking a big bag of money. I'd be flying to Brazil. I'd be saying to Abel Ferreira, "Look, you've won two a couple of Libertadores." You've won a league title. You can't do any more here at Palmieri's. Come back to Europe. We'll give you a big bag of money. There'll be money to spend in the summer. We've got a really good squad, a squad that suits what you want to do, a squad that will work with what you want. I think he'd be the best possible uh, appointment for them. But I, I have a feeling they're going to do something silly here. Some of the names been linked just would not fill you with confidence at all. And if they get it wrong, I think there's a real risk they go down because I think Dyche will will grind points out with Everton. You look around them, you'd expect West Ham to f- cop on themselves at some point. Wolves are looking a bit better under Lopetegui. Forest have looked much better in recent months under, under Cooper. I, I still think Southampton will change manager again and maybe they then go on a run under a, a real manager, not a, not a gobshite. And then the Bournemouth thing, again, they could change manager again. You you just wouldn't know. And maybe they go on a run. So it's going to be very difficult to stay in the division this season because there's a lot of clubs kind of that are in and around the same level. There's a, they all have similar levels of talent. West Ham, I think, have, have a level above the rest. But they're in that mix for a reason. I think they have to nail this appointment. And if they if they don't, like they, they appointed Gerrard. Or Lampard, you just, might have just booked him into the championship for next season, and it wouldn't surprise me if they did something like that. Yeah, same. I mean, straight away there were stories that they were going to reappoint Matteo Bielsa, which just kind of sums it up. You know, a disaster. You're asking for trouble bringing him in mid-season because the players, Jesse Marsh, spent six months getting the players out of the habits that he had built into them. And then there's been quite a lot of turnover in the squad as well. So Bielsa's going to have to come back in. It takes time to adapt to his style, which, you know, it's questionable whether it works in the Premier League or not. He had one good season, one disastrous season. I know he had a lot of injuries, but that's because of the style of play. I don't know. 
I, I, if I was the owner, I'd be looking very hard at Victor Orta and thinking, are you really good at your job or should I just move you out as well and just get somebody somebody else in who can do a better job? Mm. Because I've got plenty of money to spend. I've got loads of money behind me. I'm actually in the process of probably selling the club anyway to the, the 49ers. So maybe, maybe I just bin you off and I can rinse a little bit more money if I can say to them, well, I've got a great young sporting director and a great young manager in Abel Ferreira. So it's worth doing that. But uh, yeah, they have to get this right. Or like you said, they're going to look so foolish. Like if, if Potter walked into Chelsea and Chelsea were currently second in the league and going well, you'd be like, it was a really good decision to get rid of Tuchel and bring in Potter. But because it's gone so badly, you're like, well, why on earth did they do that? Why, why did they let Tuchel spend 280 million and then sack him seven days later to then spend 300 million on Potter. It just doesn't make sense. Leeds will be in the same. If they go down, you will have to ask serious questions about why they spent so much money in January and then sack the manager. Which are very different questions from the Liverpool ones, which is where we don't spend any money and then don't do anything else either. Exactly. And we will <laughs> leave it at that. Thank you, as always, for listening. Uh, read Carl's piece on This Is Anfield. Read his work in The Independent. Follow him at Carl Matchett on the Twitter machine. Follow Guy Drinkle at Guy Drinkle. And don't follow me because I'll just insult you. But I'll see you next time. Bye-bye. We hope you enjoyed listening to this Anfield Index show. Please be sure to subscribe to our channel so future podcasts find their way to your device automatically. There's nothing quite like fan engagement and we'd love to know what you think of anything discussed on this show. The best way to get in touch is over on our free Discord community, where both podcasters and listeners debate the hottest LFC topics 24-7. Sign up free now at anfieldindex.com forward slash Discord. You won't regret it. You can also follow us on Twitter at Anfield Index and find us on Facebook by searching for Anfield Index. Oh, and before you go, we'd love it if you could leave us a five-star review on your favourite podcast app. It only takes a couple of seconds, and it means the world to the people who create these free shows. Sports Social Podcast Network.